0: Good evening. John chapter 1. We are starting uh, through the book of John. And, you know, as much as I loved going through the books of Samuel, it's nice to get out of killing and those kinds of things and have a little break. And so we're going to go through the Gospel of John. And, And. John's gospel is really a word portrait. I mean, John is so picturesque in how he writes. It's a lot more visual, I think, than the other gospels. And as we're going to start getting into it, you're going to see that it's so different even in how it starts. We don't have so many of the things that we have in the other gospels. It doesn't start with you know, Jesus was born in this manner. There's no manger scene in the Gospel of John. There's no demonic activity that takes place in the Gospel of John. Really, he focuses on eight miracles, and these miracles are are pointing us to something. He's trying to make a declaration. And if you want, turn to the very end of John, John chapter 20, Verse 30 and 31, John tells us why he is writing this book. In verse 30 of John chapter 20, he says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you will have life by the power of his name. And so he is writing these things. There's a whole lot more that took place, but he is accounting these things so that you can continue to believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name the idea of miraculous signs were there to point us to something it wasn't just to wow us wow look at what jesus did he did a miraculous sign everything that john writes about that jesus did is to point us to that he is the messiah And that in believing in him, we would have life and have life in his name. And there's a few words that are here that we're going to hear over and over again throughout this book. The word believe shows up in one form or another almost a hundred times. And the idea of believe is faith. It's trusting and it's putting our stock in. And so we're going to see this is one of John's themes. It's all about believing, believing, believing. And we're also going to see this word life. It's used like some 36 times, 17 times regarding eternal life. But there's no evident change in the meaning. In other words, when he uses the word life, he always seems to mean this life of abundance, this life of lasting, this life of something good. And it's not just an existence. It's about a life that is connected to Jesus, to God. And so he's trying to get us in this conversation. John was a fisherman. He was... One of the sons of Zebedee, his brother James, not the Lord's brother, but his brother was also one of the disciples. He was part of Jesus's inner circle. Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on various occasions where we don't see all the apostles. We see them in the transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus had these guys who he was really close to, who saw a little bit more than some of the others. John presents himself, not by name, but as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's not that he didn't love the other ones. It's just that's how he felt. That's how he's going to acknowledge himself. I'm the one that Jesus loved. And it's really endearing. And a lot of the things that John does throughout this are very enduring. You know, John is mentioned throughout the book of Acts. He's actually named as one of the leaders there in Jerusalem, in Galatians chapter two, and so he is a prominent figure in Christendom, being one of the twelve and being a person of just substantial importance in church history. He's written, of course, the gospel that we're going to be going through, the epistles for Second, Third John, as well as the Revelation. Um, just incredible things as he's writing this, he is writing us writing to connect us to something. And so as we get in and start reading it, let this book intrigue you. It's meant to provoke you to life, to help you to believe, to engage you to think that Jesus is... The Messiah. And so let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the word. Does that remind you of any other places in scripture? Genesis, right? In the beginning, God. Now, why do you think John is writing in a way that's reminding us of Genesis 1-1, and why is he using this terminology of the word? What are some thoughts on that? Right. So so just as God is eternal and was in the beginning, so is the word. And so it is meant to connect us to that thought of God in the beginning. But now, why does he use this word, the word? I mean, understand this, that John's gospel is written to Jewish people, but it's also written to the Gentile believers. It's written to humanity. Whereas, Luke's gospel was directed specifically towards the Gentiles, actually Luke's and Mark's. And Matthew's gospel was directed specifically to the Jewish people because that, it began with the genealogy and there's a lot of fulfillment of scripture that comes into the play. But John is writing it with a little broader audience in mind. And so he's trying to be very inclusive. And this idea of the word, or the word there in the Greek is the logos, And it was something very prominent in Greek. Plato talked about it. Plato had this idea that behind everything there is a thought. And so that was the the logos, is this, this thought, this word. And then the Hebrew mind was behind every thought there must be a thinker. And so he's appealing to both sets of people here. He's dealing with the... Greek philosopher, he's dealing with those who come from Jewish tradition, and he's using this word logos or logos because it is significant in what it means. It has to do with expression. And what he's doing is saying that in the beginning was the expression of God, this thought of God, this person who is behind the thought. He's writing this to let us know about Jesus and who he is and to get us to start thinking of this differently. And then he says, through him, all things were made. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. That means that he is not one of the things that was made, but literally he is responsible for making things these things. He's not a part of the creation. He's actually above the creation. So the idea here is now he is someone who is responsible for creation. And so the relationship that is taking place with this expression and and who was with God and that idea of was with God literally means face to face. It's having to do with this conversation It's kind of this continuous action, this continuous relationship that is taking place with this word who was with God having this conversation. In fact, he was God. And this is one of the foundational things that John is proclaiming throughout this book is that Jesus is the expression of the invisible God. And so all those times where Jesus will say things like before Abraham was, I am, all the times he uses the I am, it is connected directly to that expression in the Hebrew mind that was God's term, God's name. And so it is purposely meant to bring this kind of unity in thought between Jesus and God. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 verse 15 and through 20. Paul kind of picks up on this and the idea of Jesus being part of the creation in a unique way that he's actually responsible for it and not just part of it like us or the rest of the things that we see and know. In verse 15, he says, The sun is the first, is the invisible. Let me try that again. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so Paul is echoing what John has just written, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And when he says the firstborn, he's not talking about, well, he was someone who was now born. What he's talking about is he was the preeminent one, or like he says later on, that he might have supremacy. He is the important one. Remember, there'd be times where God would say, and Jacob is my firstborn. And why would he say that? Esau was born first, right? No, because Jacob is the one that got the blessing and the birthright. And so God is making us know that Jacob was the one that he gave favor to, even though Esau was born first. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, and the idea is he is the one who has that privilege. He is the one who is in a unique place, and God has entrusted him with creation and everything. And so we're immediately seeing that Jesus isn't just another dude, okay? There's something unique about him from this person who was one of his followers, Not only was John one of his followers, John also actually, we believe, was Jesus' cousin. In chapter 19, where Jesus is on the cross and Mary is there with her sister, the sister is named and it's John's mother's name. And then Jesus looks to John and says, behold, your mother woman, behold your son, and there's that kind of connection entrusting her care to John. And so there is family connection there as well, which to me is even more interesting. Because I have cousins, and there's no cousin that I'd ever say, you know, my cousin, they're God. You know, it's just, I might like them, you know, but I, I know them. But John, as well as James, as we've been going through his epistle gives Jesus this place of authority that I think is important to recognize. And so at the beginning, John is writing these things about Jesus to help us understand that something special is taking place here. Something unique is taking place in this person. And then he goes on in verse 4, and him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Have you noticed he hasn't given his name yet? He doesn't even tell us his name until like verse 17 or something like that. It's like, what's with that? It's almost as if John is saying, you know, I want you to know who he is. And before you make less of him by thinking of him as just this person, I want to expound how I see him. And so I'm not just writing about Jesus, I'm writing about in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. He's not just a guy who had life, in him was life. And it's like John is so enamored with who Jesus was that he's trying to give a description to him to help us get out of this thinking of Jesus being just a man. Now, he was a man. He was the Word who became flesh and had his dwelling among us, as we're going to see. But before we get there, you've got to understand that he was with God, that he was God, That through him, everything was made that is made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. And the word that's used here for life isn't a biological term. It's not the word bios. It's again dealing with a quality as well as a quantity. He was abundant life. He was eternal life. He was life itself. And this is going to be one of those words that's used over and over again, because what John is trying to help us see, and what Jesus throughout this conversation we're going to see, is always trying to get us to be alive. And that's really an difficult thing when you think. But I am alive, and he says, "No, you're not. You know, yes, I am. I'm breathing. I'm alive. How?" And he's saying, you're, "You might be breathing. You might have this biological life, but there is another life that you do not have, that you need. And I am the source of that. And so, how do you tell people?" who think they're alive, that they need life? How do you explain to a person who's deaf what music sounds like? How do you try and bring to understanding a person who's blind what colors look like or texture? How do you explain to someone who can't taste what an In-N-Out burger tastes like? I mean, unless you compare it to a McDonald's, you you don't know. You just give a description like, oh, okay, I don't understand. But then when you experience it, it's different. And that's what John's trying to do is help us to see that he's different. I got to tell you about him and him was life and That life was the light of all mankind. Now, the idea of light is, again, illumination. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, the darkness could not stop it. The darkness cannot quench it. The darkness is no match for it. Any thoughts on these first few verses? Nada. Okay, verse 6. There was a man. Now, the way he's phrasing this is it means literally there came into being a man. So he's automatically making a distinction between this guy and the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word always was. But there came into being a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, we're talking about John the Baptist he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Why do you think he's giving us this little side note about John the Baptist? See you guys. <laughs> Gloria is having a hard day. Yeah, they were giving credence to John the Baptist as being maybe the Messiah. There was actually, I mean, we believe that John's gospel was written probably around 75, 80 A.D. And even at that early stage, there were people who were already beginning to worship John the Baptist. And so John is writing to kind of stop that. There's a lot of beliefs that he's going to try and stop, even the Gnosticism that's going to be prevalent at this time. He's writing to let, there was a guy, he was born, he came into being, he wasn't the light. He just was talking about the light. And so he's, he's showing a distinction between John, and he's saying that John came so that people might believe in Jesus, even though he hasn't given his name yet. He himself wasn't the light, he just came to witness to the light. He came to be an example of that. In verse 9 it says, the true light, see the distinction? There's the guy who came to talk about the light, but the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And so he goes back to this true light that came as the light of the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. What do you think he's getting at here? Why didn't the world recognize him? I mean, how would you recognize God who looked like a man? That'd be a tough one that 'd be a real tough thing, and so he came into the world, no the world was made him. the world did not recognize him. We know his brothers didn 't recognize him till after the resurrection, and so there's this kind of lack of ability to see and it 's not hard to understand I mean this is a pretty intense conversation that we 're having here he 's expecting us to believe a lot at the beginning. And the world didn't believe, even though he's saying who he was, the world didn't believe he came to that which was his own, which can be both the Jewish people or it could even be humanity, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I love that. And it's so important that we keep in order the things that he says here. Even though he came to his own and they didn't receive him, there's this, but, or yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, what does it mean to believe in his name? We haven't even gotten his name yet. What do they mean by believe in his name? What do you think? Yeah. And what, his, what is his name? Jesus, right? What does Jesus mean? Jehovah is salvation. Remember when Jesus comes, the angel said, you will call his name Joshua, which is Jesus, which means God is salvation. And so believing in his name is believing that God has brought salvation. It's believing in, like you said, the promise that God has given. This is a fulfillment of the promise that was described. This was foretold. This isn't something that just happened one day out of the blue. This is something that's been in the work for thousands of years throughout the Jewish tradition. And all of a sudden it comes to fruition. And now here he is, you got to believe on his name. His name is Joshua. His name is Jesus. His name means God is salvation. His name has brought salvation to us. And so if you receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's a powerful word, who gave him the right. It means it's yours. You have the authority to be the child of God. It is now your privilege. You own this. It belongs to you. And it's important to recognize that to those who believe in his name, and it requires this process, that those who receive him and who believe in his name, those have the right to be the children of God. And then he goes on and he says, children who are not born of natural descent, nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God's self-disclosure of who he is in the person of Jesus is universal. It's there for everyone to see, to receive. It is to all men to so whoever would receive him, whoever would believe in him. That includes everybody. That's not just some people. It is meant purposely to say to whoever. To those people, they have the right. It's universal, but man's response is not. In other words, God has made the invitation to all humanity But man still has to respond. And so the response is not something, well, you know, my mom was born a Christian, so I'm a Christian. It's not because you were born by natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will. It's not because, well, yeah, my parents planned to have a kid and then they had a kid, and it was their decision to have this take place. This rebirth is something that God does in the person who believes in him. And this is important because what takes place when a person says, you know what, I believe that you are the salvation that I need. I I believe that you are life and I want to receive that life by accepting who you are, what all that entails, and when I do that, then what happens is there is a transformation that takes place in me, because what I'm saying is I am looking for the life that I don't have, but that you have, and I want to receive the life that you, who are the light of men, have. And so I receive that. I accept that for myself. I want that. And so there's an acknowledgement of that and the receptive posture to take that. And then what God does is he changes the essence of who we are. You don't get better looking, you don't get taller, you you don't develop a Hebrew accent, You, you don't change in an external way, but It changes you, in essence, inside. And we call this a new birth, you know, born again. You can call it all kinds of things. But what's happening is God is doing something, not you. I'm just going to be a nicer guy. No, God is going to make me a new person. I, I still look the same, but there is a change that has taken place—a metamorphosis. I, I was, you know, the tadpole, and I've become a frog. It's not as nice as, the, you know, caterpillar becoming a butterfly, but it's still that kind of a thing. I, I'm, I'm there, but I'm different. And the reason I'm different is because. God did something in me. God changed something inside of me. Excuse me. And that's important to recognize because it's not something we just work our way to. We have a responsibility to believe. We have a responsibility to receive. But then God takes it from there and does a change. Now, we still have to believe. That believing is a continuing process. It's not like, okay, I said a prayer, I believed, boom, give it to me. okay. And you might have a change of heart, but if you don't walk in that change, you're not going to show that change. It's not going to be evident in your life because it's a, a life-going process. And so it's important that we see there's responsibility that we have, and then there's a responsibility that God takes that he can only And it's important that we see that because that's the whole idea of this new covenant. That's the whole idea of why Jesus came. He came to fulfill all the law, which was to connect us to God and say, you guys can't get there, but I can. I'll get there for you. Receive me and I'll give you the golden ticket. And now I'll change who you are and restore this relationship, this life with God. And so that's what's taking place here. Because there are people who say, well, see, it's not up to people whether they are connected to God or born again, whatever the terminology they would use. It's only up to God. It makes no sense. How do you get with those who receive him to all who believe, or who all who receive him and believe in his name? Who are the all then? It should be to the ones that God said could believe in him. And, and it's just silly. Um, and so he, he's connecting us to who Jesus is. Jesus is connecting us to the change that God is able to bring in us. And in verse 14, he starts to really unfold this. And he says, the word, okay, there it is again. We still don't know his name. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so now he's talking about a specific event in history that took place. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. The idea is the word became flesh. It tabernacled among us. In other words, it's like the tent that they would pitch. I love one translation that said God pitched his tent in our neighborhood. And so he made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent here. Jesus is not just an idea or a spirit. He was a real person with flesh and blood. There was a moment in time when he was born of a virgin and became a child. There is a moment that took place where this word that we've been talking about actually became flesh. And made his dwelling with us. And then he says, We have seen his glory. A definite moment that has happened. And his glory, what is his glory? What do you think he means by his glory? We have seen his glory. What is his glory? The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is his glory? What does he mean by his glory? What do you think? about that his resurrection any other thoughts I I think those things are evidences but yeah the transformation all those things are events that took place but when he's talking about his glory he's talking about the presence of God in the person that's what the glory is connecting to God the, the kabod the, the glory of God, the weight of God, the, the reality of God is in him. And, and so he's talking about the presence of God, the only son who came from the father. And as we saw in Colossians 115, he came from the father, but it was through him that all things were made. And, and it's full of grace and truth, grace and truth. It was this person, this word, this expression of God that came and dwelt with us, that became flesh, that became a man. It is this person where God did the work. It is through this person that God did and still does the work. It is this Jesus is the place where men did and still do believe and trust or disbelieve. It is this person of Jesus that makes the difference in the lives of people. It is this event of God becoming a man and dwelling among us that is just overwhelming John and how he is trying to describe this and it's turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 cuz he he does it again he doesn't just do it here he he kind of does this throughout where he's trying to give us an understanding of who Jesus really is and every time he tries it seems like he kind of just gets to this place. In 1 John chapter 1, he says, that which was from the beginning. From the beginning. When was the beginning? Anyone know? No, you don't. I don't know either. It was the beginning, okay? My beginning was in 1959, okay? It was before that. I know it's hard to believe. But it was. Not that's hard to believe. I was born in 1959. Hard to believe the beginning was before that. So it was from the beginning. Already he's saying, this, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning what? The word of life. Again, he doesn't even tell us it's Jesus here, because it just seems to, to be so... You can't start off and just say, let me tell you about Jesus. I've got to tell you about the one who was from the beginning, the the one who we have heard. Oh, the things that we heard, the ones that we have seen, the one, oh, the things that we have seen, the ones that we have touched our hands, have handled, concerning the word of life. This is a reality I'm talking about and I cannot begin to describe it by just telling you a name. I'm talking about the living God establishing himself as a man and revealing himself to us. The life appeared. I love that. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There, finally, his name comes out. And that's in his epistle. We still gotta go back to John. We haven't got his name yet. And so do you see what John is trying to do? I mean, how do you explain life that has shown up in the person when Jesus came and John saw him and John walked with him and saw the things that he did and heard the things that he said and began to understand that this is not just a man. This is the promise of Israel. This is God stamped in human flesh. This is life. This is the light of all mankind. How do you begin to get to that place and then make that known to people? Well, this is how. This is how he's writing about it. This is how he's declaring these things, trying to get us to understand the word, this expression of God that was with God, face to face, right next to God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent in our neighborhood. We've seen his glory, the glory of God, established in the person of Jesus, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes, John, back to the John the Baptist, like a whiplash here. Wait, we're just getting there. We're almost there. Tell us, what's his name? What's going on? John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And so now John the apostle, but well, there's too many Johns here, I got to specify, is making clear that John the Baptist recognized that Jesus was preeminent, was before him. And so John is using John to help him point to Jesus. And so he's letting us know that. In verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given in other words we're we're getting a abundance more than what we had we're getting grace on top of grace what god had done for us and was generous and good to us it's more than it's better than and then he goes for the law which is really what he was referring to the grace that he's referring to is the law the the commands that God has given his people. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And there it is. Finally, we get his name. Took a long time to get there, didn't it? Or maybe I just took a long time to get there. But he is trying to spell things out. John shows that the revelation through the word is superior than the law that was given, that Jesus isn't in conflict with the law, but those who represented the law were actually in conflict with him. And so he's coming here and saying all these things that were good for you, this is better. This is the fulfillment of, this is grace on top of that. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. No one has ever seen God. Moses got a glimpse, but he didn't see God. You can't see God or you'll die. And he goes, Well, I'll let you see that after globe from where I was. And so Moses was tucked in the cleft of the rock and only got a glimpse of an idea of who God was, but could not see him fully. No one has seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. This is going back to what he says. And the word was with God. They were face to face. They were hand in hand. They were in unison. It was like looking in a mirror is in the closest relationship with the Father, and here is the beautiful part, and here is what the whole book is about, and has made him known. Made who known? God. I want to know who God is. Oh, boy, have we got something in store for us. I'd like to know what God is like. Oh, boy you come to the right place. This is the book that's going to help us see, unfold all of who God is. Because no one has seen God, but the one who was with God face to face. He was with him from the beginning, the one and only, the closest in relationship with God, the father, he has made him known. And so now John, remember, John is writing this 70-so AD. This is some 30-plus years after Christ has been crucified and resurrected. And John is looking back and writing about this event. And he's letting us know this one who was with God from the beginning, he is the one who has made God known. How do you know God? How can anyone say something like that? What an incredible statement. How absurd that sounds. How could anyone say that with such confidence? And yet, John does. And the reason he does is because I heard him. The words he spoke were the words of life. The people marveled at Jesus because he spoke as someone who had authority, not as just one of the teachers. Peter said, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Because John saw him. I saw him feed thousands. I saw him raise people from the dead. I've seen him. We handled him. I saw him crucified. I saw him die. And I saw him alive. And I talked with him after he was alive. I met with him. Jesus said, touch and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as I have. And he ate with them after he was crucified and rose from the dead, and now he's writing back, looking past all these things, and he says, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you about the one. And the beginning was the word, this expression of God. He was with God. He was God. And in him is life. And in this life, it's the light of all mankind. He came into the world, and even though he made the world, the world didn't recognize him. And even though the world didn't recognize him yet, to any who will receive him and believe on his name, he will give them the authority and right to be the children of God. He will change them supernaturally. And it's this person that I'm going to write to you. No one has seen God, but this one the only son who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, he is going to make God known. You guys ready to meet God? Sounds like a death wish, huh? (laughs) I don't have a gun. You ready to meet God? But this is what Jesus is now doing, is revealing God. And so what Jesus says is giving us insight into how God thinks. What Jesus does is giving us insight into how God thinks and what God cares about. What Jesus does gives us insight into how God feels. Bam! That's sobering. That's startling. And if it's true, it is amazing. And John is writing these things, as he said, so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen. That's all we're going to cover tonight. We won't get through the rest of the chapter. We'll get into the other John later. Any thoughts or questions just on any of this? It is. It's very beautiful. I mean, this gospel, it's a favorite, I think, of many people. I know, you know, for so many reasons. I just love how John writes. And he's, again, very picturesque. He's really giving us a portrayal. He's unfolding all these little areas of understanding of who God is, Shown in the person of Jesus. And that's that's a beautiful thing. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this book. And I thank you for how you move on the hearts of men and women to be able to change their lives in such a way where the passion of who you are to them just flows from what they write and how even though you are invisible to our eyes, we see you in these writings. Lord, we see you in the heart of this man, John, as he is trying to bring description to who you are. We, we get an understanding not only of what he wrote about you, but about what you did to him. And Lord, what you did to him, we want you to do to us. We want to have the right to be called the children of God. Because we have received you and believe on your name and all that that name means, all that you are. We want that life to be our life. We want this relationship to be our relationship. We don't want to settle for a distant belief, a distant God who is cryptic and hard to understand. We want one that we can see, that we can hear, that our hands can handle. One that will speak into our lives and give us words of life. So I pray as we continue reading through this book, that we too can be drawn into this conversation and we too can have this life, have this relationship, have this right to be called children of God. Because we have received you, we believe that you are salvation. We do ask this in your son's name, in your name, Jesus. Amen.